Our gospel reading according to the witness of St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lamp stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So our gospel reading today begins with what many of us have come to know as the Beatitudes. As a child, I wasn't sure why those verses were called the Beatitudes, and I didn't learn this until I was well into my adulthood. Uh, Each of those first 11 verses, as you heard it, starts with Jesus saying, Blessed are... And that word beatitude uh, is derived from a Latin word, beatitudi, which means blessedness. So Jesus is declaring blessedness. He's announcing blessing to his listeners. And these beatitudes have everything to do with a correct understanding of our vocation as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'll be preaching on this morning. But before I get to our vocation, let's think some more about um, these Beatitudes. Jesus, when you think about it, is really uh, turning things upside down with these words. His listeners would have been more than a little surprised by what he was saying. The blessed ones, those who had received God's favor were not thought of as the poor, the mournful, the meek, the hungry, the thirsty, and certainly not those being persecuted and reviled. Instead, those people would be considered forsaken, uh, without God's blessing, outside of God's favor. And Jesus teaches that those who are experiencing all these things are blessed not because it's such a great thing to be mourning 
or persecuted, but because God does not forsake those who are hurting. God is merciful and loving to those the world considers to be on the periphery. Uh, He is merciful to the brokenhearted. And God knows the sadness and walks with those who are mourning. And as always, again and again, uh, Jesus would demonstrate the truth of his spoken words by how he lived and died as the word made flesh. Those beatitudes probably didn't make a lot of sense to those who were hearing them for the first time when Jesus was speaking. But their meaning would become perfectly clear when Jesus went the way of the cross alone, when he died as one forsaken, mocked, and reviled. You see, our Lord embodied the truth of these beatitudes in his own obedience, his own rejection, suffering, and death. And in so doing, Christ demonstrated an altogether different kind of power and strength. Not the power of the Roman government in all of its might, not the authority of the religious hierarchy of his day, But Jesus demonstrated a different kind of power. A power to love even as he was dying. A willingness to forgive even as he was hanging on the cross. And and a strength to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of others. And this is precisely where the Beatitudes, the sayings of blessedness, and our vocation as Christian people meet. Our understanding of what it means to serve the Lord in daily life, our vocation is not what some might think or believe. It might be just as surprising to some folks as Jesus' beatitudes were surprising. For many centuries, and even to this day, I've encountered people who think that only those who have you know, a Christian job, a, a Christian title, have a truly Christian vocation. And in Martin Luther's day, who would this have been? Bishops, priests, monks, and nuns. But I've met people today who think only pastors, clergy have a Christian vocation. As for everyone else, farmers, blacksmiths, barbers, carpenters, soldiers, homemakers, teachers, bakers, and on and on and on, in Martin Luther's day, those were thought of as purely uh, worldly occupations, secular vocations that had nothing to do with godliness or the kingdom of Christ. And as Jesus turned things upside down with an understanding of God and his blessing, Martin Luther turned things upside down with his right, faithful teaching on vocation. And this teaching was not to create chaos or bring about disorder Uh, It was to put things right, to restore things to a right understanding, to proclaim truth. This is the truth. Martin Luther knew it. He was faithful in proclaiming it. Every Christian has a Christian vocation. And every believer in Jesus Christ is called to serve the Lord in the ordinariness of daily life and your regular duties. 
A person does not have to become a pastor or priest. A man does not have to enter a monastery. A woman does not need to belong to a convent in order to have a Christian vocation, serve God, or be near him. For those of you who like to read and study, one of the best books I've ever read on Christian vocation was written by a Swedish, a Swedish theologian by the name of Gustav Wingren. Uh, he wrote a book called Luther on Vocation. He was born in 1910 and died in the year 2000, just a few weeks before his 90th birthday. But this morning I want to share with you some words from this book as Wingren reflects on a right understanding of Christian vocation. So I quote now. Vocation means those who are closest at hand, your family, your fellow workers. These are given to you by God. These are the neighbors we are to love. Vocation points toward a world, listen, vocation points toward a world which is never the same for every person. Each is to do his own work without looking at others or trying to copy them. So a Christian finds himself called to even drab and lowly tasks, which seem far less remarkable than monastic life. For him who heeds vocation, sanctification, that means growing in holiness, is hidden in all the ordinary tasks, with the result that it is hardly noticed at all that he is a Christian. But our faith looks on simple duties as tasks to which vocation summons every person. And by the Spirit of God, we become aware that all those dull and even despised works are adorned with the favor of God. Since the course of our life is shaped by factors beyond our own plans and ideas, we are to address ourselves to the present hour, to whatever is at hand, to whatever is waiting for us now and belongs to our unique vocation. Whatever your hands find to do has not just sprung forth by accident. Since God is at work in the world around us, it is God who gives us the present moment together and all the relationships with others in our situation. And with those relationships, God assigns our definite tasks to use the present moment and the time which God gives us is to enter fully into one's vocation. You have a Christian vocation. I have a Christian vocation. And every congregation, especially congregations like here at Faith, need men, women, and young people who are willing to step up and serve and volunteer. Soon enough, we will move out of those onerous COVID restrictions that we've known for over a year that have limited so much of what we've been able to do. And in the non-COVID world, we need less, no less than 30 or 40 volunteers every weekend, and that's just for worship on Saturday and Sunday. And then you add to that Sunday school, vacation Bible school, Wednesday night ministries for our young people, confirmation, ground floor youth worship, faith riders, high school, college ministries, mission trips, service projects, volunteering for church council, just to name a few. And the list of volunteers that we need here at Faith just grows longer and longer and longer. So please, please, please think and pray about stepping up and stepping forward 
and giving some of your time and some of your energy as we move toward our summer schedule and our fall programs. Our staff cannot do everything here. Most of you know that. And our staff was never designed to do everything. It's all of us in partnership together. That said, as much as we need volunteers here on this campus, the ministry you do every day when you're not here at Faith Lutheran Church property is just as significant in the kingdom of God as the work you might do here as a volunteer. Your vocation, that niche, that place where you live, work, study, and play, hey, that's the primary place to which God calls you to serve Him. I hope, I trust, that those words sounded familiar in verse 16 when Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Remember those words? They should sound familiar. They're spoken each and every time any man, woman, or child is baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ in our fellowship. And Jesus says in His Word that His people, His baptized church, His brothers and sisters are the light of the world. That doesn't mean someone else. That, that means you. You are the light of the world. And I don't know about you, but I'll speak for myself. I see a lot of darkness in the world today. I see a lot of despair. I think our world needs the light of God's love and the truth of God's grace now more than ever. I believe the world needs the light that is you as a person of faith who knows Jesus and the gift of his grace. Our community needs you. Your vocation, whatever that happens to be, your daily service, your work, your place in community, that's precisely where you are already on assignment by God to bring him glory and love your neighbor. And to do whatever it is you do to the best of your ability. Those words that Jessica read from the Old Testament psalm, they sound a bit harsh. But you know, the world is full of people who love to deceive, who are in it only for themselves. Who are willing to lie, to get ahead, to get whatever they want. But we're called to be different. We are called to speak truthfully and honestly in all circumstances, in our daily work, in our homes, in our relationships. We are called to give our best to every task, no matter how mundane it may seem, and not just do enough to get by. We are called as the light of the world to show compassion to the hurting and the broken that God puts in our path. And sometimes that hurt and that brokenness, right, is self-inflicted. And so we are called to remind people that there's a different way, a way of healing and restoration, that Jesus loves them, that they're not forgotten, that they're not forsaken. If you happen to be blessed um, in marriage, God calls you to love, support, and affirm your spouse as part of your vocation. If you have been blessed with children or grandchildren, you are to remind them how precious they are in the sight of the Lord and do your best to help them walk the way of Christ through their baptismal covenant. 
I did some research in preparation for today's sermon, and the folks at Data USA, that's D-A-T-A USA, have crunched the numbers, and they report that today in these United States, there are 458,000 pastors, and by the way, the average age of those pastors is 52 years, and that average age is getting older year by year. So maybe some of you are called to be a pastor. Think about that. Our current population in these United States is 328.2 million and counting. So this means that less than two-tenths of 1% of all people are clergy. More than 99.8% of all of us are not. Imagine a nation in which 99.8% of us thought of our daily lives as the place where we are serving God. Not just my house, not just my J-O-B job, but the place where I'm on assignment by God to bring Him glory. Now I know that some of you are already thinking, Bruce, 99.8% of American citizens are not followers of Jesus. Well, you're right. And I get that. Which means we have awesome opportunities for leading people to Jesus, right? Which is our primary reason for being, first and foremost. The folks at the Pew Research Institute tell us that there are currently 175 million Americans, men, women, and children, who identify as Christian. So what if all these people considered their vocation Not just their time in church or volunteering an hour or two each week. But what if all these people thought of their vocation, their their place in the world, as the primary setting in which they are called by God to let the light of their faith shine? Every week, every worship service, we conclude our time together in this sanctuary with the same words. Go in peace, serve the Lord, and what do you say? Thanks be to God. Think about this ritual. Think about this liturgy. Think about these words. The worship service has ended. And my goodness, Pastor Bruce got us out 10 minutes early. The service has ended. Right? It's over. And now we go on to the next thing. But with these words Every single Sunday, we affirm, we acknowledge, we proclaim that our real service to the Lord is just getting cranked up. It's just beginning as we start a brand new week. We go in peace to serve the Lord to a world that is fragile and fractured. We encounter people who are the casualty of this broken, harsh landscape We go in peace to serve the Lord with with thanks to God for the privilege of doing so. Thanks be to God, we say, for the opportunity to serve Him. Not because it's easy. Sometimes it's really, really hard. We give thanks to God for the privilege of serving not because it's always fun. And certainly not because we'll be noticed by and praised by others. In fact, serving the Lord means that you might be ridiculed 
and rejected. But we give thanks because we know who God is. We know. We know how it's going to end. His kingdom and His kingdom alone will abide forever when the world as we know it right now is finally finished, kaput, over, on the ash heap of history. So we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not that I'm counting, but um, I'm seven months, three days, and 18 hours from retirement. And people have been asking me in recent months, you know, aren't you going to miss being in ministry? Aren't you going to miss your ministry? I mean, it's defined you, Bruce, for almost 40 years. And I understand that question. But I want to say to all of you that uh, when pastors retire, their ministry doesn't stop. It just changes. And I'm really eager uh, for this new season of life when I'll be doing ministry like 99.8% of all the rest of the people. I, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm eager to see what God has in store for me in the next chapter of my life. Um, I'm not going to stop doing ministry. It's just going to be a different kind of ministry. And my ministry as a retired grandpa will be uniquely my own as your ministry is uniquely your own. We're all in ministry. I want you to think in the coming, coming week, I want you to think and pray about your particular vocation and all the folks that God will continue placing in your path, wherever you happen to be, wherever you happen to go, whatever niche you occupy in our community. Just recently, I was talking uh, to two sisters in Christ uh, who happened to be in a local restaurant. And uh, they shared with me that they were able to share their faith and the story of our congregation with their server. You see, even when you go to lunch, you know, so you can take off your mask because I'm eating and drinking, right? Even when you go to lunch, there's a place to do ministry and witness to the Lordship of Jesus. I want you to think about your vocation, which includes your J-O-B job, your occupation, but it's so much more than that. It's everything you do 24-7 where you spend your time. That's where Jesus wants you to allow the light of Christ to shine through you. Brothers and sisters, you serve God and you glorify God whenever you do your duties and do them well, even if no one's looking, even if no one praises you, even if it seems mundane, Um, We glorify God in the ordinariness of life because He loves us with His extraordinary grace. And when you start to understand your vocation as the place, the place where you are on assignment from God, well, then He is glorified and His kingdom unfolds. May the peace which far surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord this day and until we all see the Savior face to face. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.